0: Morning, Chapel. It's a blessing to be here with you all. I hope and pray that you had a great Thanksgiving. Um, so, for those of you who don't know, my name is Ty Williams, and I did grow up in this church. This church has always been a tremendous blessing to me, um, growing up here um, with my family, um, even now working overseas and just knowing so many of you that support me with prayers and encouragement, and um, whether it's emails or whatever it may be, um, it's been a tremendous blessing. To even just partner with you now in the gospel and to see the name of Jesus be exalted and glorified, um, really what our hope and prayer is amongst all peoples. And so, even as I begin, I just want to say thank you um, for your partnership in that and what a blessing it is for me to be here this morning with you all. So, if you do have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 we will be in verses 1 through 9 this morning. I'll give you a second to turn there. Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. So actually in this context, as you're turning there, the Apostle Paul, he's actually gone to Philippi. He has gone and preached the gospel there. He actually went through some persecution and some suffering just for being a Christian. Some really crazy things happened um, in Philippi. We see an earthquake, and he gets freed from prison. The Lord um, saving and redeeming um, Lydia and a number of other different people here in Philippi, and now the Apostle Paul is actually in prison writing back to the church at Philippi to really encourage them in their faith, right? He's going to encourage them in their faith, trying to help them understand, really just clarifying even the gospel and encouraging them to stand firm in their faith, right? So if you do have your Bibles, Philippians chapter 4, you can stand with me. Starting in verse 1, we'll go ahead and read. The Apostle Paul says this, Philippians chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Iodia, I entreat Cintiq, to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we humbly come before you. God, we thank you so much for who you are, your grace, your mercy, your love, Father, we thank you for what you've done for us through Jesus. And Lord, as we even just humble ourselves and we get ready to study your word, we pray, Christ Jesus, that you, by the power of your spirit, would speak to our hearts, that you would move in our hearts, Lord Jesus, in only the way that you are able. Lord, you know each and every person in this room, you know what's going on in our lives. And so I pray, Christ, that your spirit would move. But we also pray, Jesus, that you would be honored and exalted and glorified here today as we open up your word. We love you, Jesus, and we praise you. May you be exalted above all things. In Christ's holy name, amen. You can be seated. So before we actually jump into the text, I really want to give us just an illustration that kind of goes along with this passage that I hope will just be encouraging to you. So in Matthew chapter 14, we actually see this, this incredible story in which the, the, the disciples are actually in a boat, right? And they see Jesus, well, there's this figure out here on the water and they're like, what is that? Is that a ghost? What's that on the water? Right, they're in a boat. Put yourself in this situation. And they see this figure and they're like, what is that? But then they begin to recognize, and they begin to see, okay, Jesus, is that you? Right, and then what happens? Many of us are probably familiar with the story in Matthew chapter 14. Peter, bold Peter, Right, he has this, this courage, but many times he puts his foot in his own mouth sometimes, but also he has great boldness here and great faith. Right, and he says, Jesus, if that's you, tell me to come out to you. I mean, just think about that. Put yourself in Peter's shoes. Jesus, if that's you, tell me to come out to you. What's Jesus doing right now? Jesus doesn't have a boat. Jesus is on the water. He's walking on the water right now. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus says, come. So Peter, he actually steps outside of the boat, and he begins to walk on water. Was was Peter trained in this? Did he have his own power? Was his own strength? No, no, no. This was Jesus. This was Jesus upholding Peter. Where were Peter's eyes fixed? Jesus. Jesus. What was Peter's hope in? Jesus. He was trusting Christ. And as he was trusting Christ, as his eyes were fixed on Jesus, what was he doing? He was actually taking steps closer to Jesus. This is important. Wherever our eyes are fixed on, that's what we're going to go towards. But what happens? Right? The winds, the storm comes. What does Peter do? Just an instant ago, he had great boldness. Just a moment ago, he had great faith. But now when the winds and the storm came, he begins to look at the storm. He takes his eyes off of Jesus. And in that instant, the storm feels so much greater and so much stronger than the God of the universe standing right in front of him. Now, I'll be the first one to raise my hand and say, I feel like this many times in my life. Right? In my faith, I say, Jesus, I, I love you. I'll be faithful to you. I want to be obedient. I want to do all these things for you. And a moment later, I find myself being disobedient or being unfaithful or not trusting the Lord as I ought to. But if we continue this this story, what do we see? Even when Peter takes his eyes off of Jesus, he begins to look at the storm. He what? He begins to feel like he's drowning. feel like he's drowning. And many of us even here today might feel that way. You might feel like, oh, I, I don't know what to do, right? It's been a tough year. COVID has been ridiculous. This 2020 has been awful for many of us. And it might be work, it might be family related, it might be relational, and many of you here today might even feel like you're drowning and you don't know what to do. Right? The idea of even trying to keep your eyes on the Lord and trying to persevere seems like a long distant memory from where you first started. And so today, you're struggling, and you don't know where to turn, you don't know where to go. But even in this story, what we see Jesus, he reaches his hand down to Peter and he says, Peter, why do you doubt? Why do you have such little faith? And he actually pulls Peter to his embrace. Basically saying, I got you. I got you. And so my hope and my prayer is that wherever you're at out there today, right, if you know Jesus and maybe you're struggling and things are hard and you feel like you're drowning, my hope and prayer is that you recognize that Jesus has you in his hands here today. He has you. Or maybe you're out there and you're saying, I don't even know who this Jesus is. Right? Maybe you're listening online or whatever it may be. My hope and prayer as we jump into God's word is that you would come to see the beauty and the glory and the riches that are Jesus. Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. That he is the one true savior and redeemer. That's my hope and prayer here today. So wherever you're at, my hope is that Jesus speaks to you by the power of his word and the power of his spirit. Let's go ahead and jump in. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. The apostle Paul says this. Remember, he's in jail writing this message to the Philippians to encourage them in their faith. If you want to go read more about his experience, Acts chapter 16, you actually get to see his experience in Philippi, but now he's writing back to them. He says this, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm, thus in the Lord, my beloved. And so even right away, I want you just to just even hear that language. Whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. Many of these believers were Gentiles. It means they were non-Jews. The Apostle Paul, he was not about relating With non Jews before he knew Jesus. But now Jesus has so radically transformed his life that now he's writing back to these believers, calling them brothers and sisters in Christ, using familial language. He calls them his joy and crown. That's awesome. Right, Jesus, he breaks down these ethnic barriers, he breaks down all of these things, and he brings us together as one body. And the Apostle Paul says, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. And then he's going to give them their first exhortation. He says, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Now, when you're reading that, it's easy to read that and just kind of skim over it and not really think twice about it. But look closely what he says. He says, stand firm thus in the Lord. In the Lord, So what's the Apostle Paul doing here? He's not saying, hey, you just need to bare knuckle it, stand firm, use your own strength, and you're going to get through this, right? Just put your hope in yourself. All, like we hear this all the time today with positive thinking and positive, you know, you, you just believe in yourself enough. No, that's not what he says. He says stand firm in the Lord. See so if you're believing in yourself here today, To get through your situation, yeah, you might get through it. But there's a lot of things that you can't do that only Jesus can do in your life. Forgive your sins, eternal life. I mean, we could keep going and going and going. But the Apostle Paul's first exhortation is to stand firm in the Lord. And so, even what what does this even look like, right? So often, even as believers, we are so driven by emotions. We go through our day-to-day life, and we just feel like, okay, something hits us, something comes at us, you're feeling overwhelmed, and then your emotions, you just begin to be driven by them. I mean, that's me, too. I feel that a lot, right? And your emotions, though, will lie to you, right? If you live your life that way, even if you try to live your life like that as a believer, your life's going to be like a roller coaster, right? Right? You, you, see, your emotions will lie to you, but the promises of God's word will never lie to you. Jesus is a solid rock that we can trust in. His promises. And so that would be the first thing that i even challenge you with here this morning. Are you trusting more in your own emotions, your feelings, or are you trusting in Jesus and the truth of what God says about himself, what he's done for you through Christ, and what he says about you? Where's your heart at this morning? Where's your life at this morning? Right? Because the Apostle Paul, he says, stand firm in the Lord. Not your own strength, not your own thoughts, not your own ways. Stand firm in the Lord. Now this term, it's actually a military term. Right? The Apostle Paul would use this a lot. He would use military terms, athletic terms, farming terms. And so this, this military term that he's using, it's the idea that you are going to stand your ground on the truth of God's word, saying, I believe in Jesus no matter what I'm going through. I believe in Christ. I believe in who he is. And I'm not going to turn around. I'm going to stand firm. I'm not going to leave my post. That's the idea here. It's a military term because as you know, in Ephesians 6 talks about this in great detail, we are not battling against flesh and blood. We are in a spiritual war. A spiritual war in which Satan will try to, he will try to shoot these fiery darts and arrows at you. And we have to put on the armor of God. We have to recognize the spiritual war that we're in, and we have to stand firm in Christ. So the Apostle Paul, I love this, because in this chapter, verse 4, he gives this exhortation, but then now he's actually going to walk through verses two through nine some just really practical steps of what it looks like that are really helpful for us to stand firm in the Lord, right? Because, I mean, even James one says, it's not if you're going to go through fiery trials, it's when. So even you might be saying, well, hey, this year wasn't that bad for me, right? Somehow you navigated enough things that you feel like, okay, the Lord's been really gracious to you. What about tomorrow? What about next year? You don't know when that tragedy is going to strike. It's when fiery trials come at you, right? So this passage applies to all of us here today. So the Apostle Paul, he's going to continue and just give us really practical steps of how we as believers individually, but also corporately, are to stand firm in the Lord. So starting in verse 2 now, he says this, I entreat Eodia and I entreat sintiq to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So what's going on here, right? So the Apostle Paul, right after saying, stand firm in the Lord, now he's addressing a specific situation that's going on in the church, right? These two women, they seem to have some disagreement, right? It might be the the color of the carpet or... You know something else in the church, something going on, and we we don't know, right? There, there's something going on that was a big enough issue in the church that was causing division here, right? That's why the apostle Paul is actually feels the need to write and address this situation, and even ask somebody else to come in on this situation to help it out, right? Now, all of us know, right? That was them. That's not us, right? We're believers. We're we're, we're mature, right? We don't have these disagreements. We're just one mind, right? Everything is getting along great. Everything is good, right? No, come on. I mean, I've been a believer long enough to know that even as we grow in Christ, it's amazing the things that we can divide over. It's honestly insane to me sometimes, the things that we can divide over. And it can be these little minute details that we think it's all about the glory of Christ and the mission of Christ. And yes, the details matter, but we need to understand, right, in, in doctrine and teaching, we are unwavering, right? The tenets of the gospel we stand firm in. We're unwavering. We don't submit to the culture. We don't change what we believe about Jesus and the Bible because the culture tells us one thing. Most things the culture tells us are stupid. They're here today and they're gone tomorrow, right? But when we talk about preferences in the church, we need to be humble, right? We need to put others' interests above our own. We need to really consider what's their desires. What are they thinking about? How can I love them, right? Because not only when there is division in the church does it affect those who are in the disagreement but it also is a terrible picture to the world, the watching world of what the church is supposed to be. You see, the church, right, it is supposed to be the gospel reflected to the world. You think about Jesus, how he loved his bride. He came down to sacrifice himself, went to the cross, died on the cross, a loving, consistent, sacrificial type of love. Three days later, he came back to life. His love for his bride... That type of love is supposed to be reflected in the church, right? We we could even take it another, another step and say it's actually supposed to reflect the Trinity, right? The church is supposed to reflect the Trinity. One God, three divine persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They exist for all of eternity in a loving, selfless, perfect relationship with each other this is how we're supposed to be in the church this is what the church is supposed to be and it's supposed to be a light to the world right now I even want you to notice in this text what does Paul do because he knows there's a a disagreement he knows there's something going on here but what does he point the believers here to look with me again verse two I entreat Iodia I entreat Cintiq to agree in what? the Lord to agree in the Lord yes I ask you true companion help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are what in the book of life what's he doing here right he knows there's a disagreement he knows there's some type of division but he's pointing to them what they have in common in the Lord and this is something I want to point out to us as believers right because if we want to stand firm individually, but also corporately, we can't let our little divisions get in the way, right, of what we have in common in the Lord, right? He says, agree in the Lord. He says, remember whose names are in the book of life. I'll just tell you this right now. You have more in common. This took for a while for me to understand, right? I grew up playing sports. I had really close friends in high school and things like that. You have more in common with those who are your brothers and sisters in Christ than anybody that you know who doesn't know Jesus. That sounds weird. But you know why? Why? Because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, and it lives inside of your brother and sister in Christ. And that common bond that you have as one body in Christ, as a family of brothers and sisters in Christ, is a greater bond than anything else this world has to offer you. And that bond will last for eternity. Right? And so the Apostle Paul, he wants to remind these believers, stop being so overwhelmed overcome by these disagreements and these little things that are going on, And remember, remember who Jesus is and what he's done for you and what you have in common in the Lord. Agree in the Lord. Your names are written in the book of life. And so as far as it is for us, we are to strive to be at peace with all. Right? We are to put others' interest above our own. And even Jesus said this in John 13, you will know. That people will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. It's a very simple statement, but it's a very hard thing to do. So how are we doing with that, church? Loving one another. The Apostle Paul, he's going to continue. Look at verse 4. He says this, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. What? Always? always. This is a really hard thing to do, right? When we go through hardships, when we go through difficulties, when we're going through suffering, when we feel like we're drowning, the Apostle Paul, this is actually a command. This is commanded of us, rejoicing in the Lord always. Now there's a lot of times that I don't want to do this, I don't feel like doing this, but it's amazing how all of God's commands are actually good for us. Right, will give you a couple examples. Nehemiah chapter 8, he says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Right? You see, whatever it is that you're going through right now and you feel is so overwhelming, I want you to get this. Jesus is a wellspring of joy that you can run to no matter what you're going through. He is a wellspring of joy that you can always run to. You, just consider it for a second, right? First Peter three: The righteous came down for the unrighteous. right? Jesus is the righteous. We are the unrighteous. We were destined to hell because of our own sins against God. But yet, in His great mercy and His great love, Jesus stepped down into the brokenness of this world. This is the God of the universe. Isaiah 40 says this same God, he put the stars in the sky and he knows them by name. Right? He says that he measures the universe by the span of his hand. He holds all the waters in the hollow of his hands. And yet he stepped down, put on human flesh, went to the cross, died on the cross, and three days later came back to life. Right? You just think about that type of love. Ephesians 3, the height, the width, the depth, and the breadth of God's love for you in Jesus. I'm telling you right now, believer, whatever is going on in your life, Jesus is there right now with open arms to you, and you need to run to him. Rejoice in the Lord always. There is always great joy. And it didn't stop at the cross. Jesus even now is your sympathetic high priest. He hears your prayers. He's mediating on your behalf right? There is so much joy in the gospel and so much joy in Christ, and there's something about taking our eyes off of our situation and putting them on Jesus and finding great joy in who he is and how he sustains us, how he strengthens us, and what he's done for us and what he continues to do for us, oh, that begins to renew our minds, that begins to help us see with clear eyes Oh, there's something beautiful about that. So the Apostle Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And if we missed it, he says again, I will say, rejoice. I mean, I even just think about passages like Psalm 1611. David, he says this, in your presence, O God, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Just think about that for a moment. In God's presence, in his perfect presence, the fullness of his presence, fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. I want that. And I hope that you want that too. A heart should desire and long for that. Even Jesus said some similar things in John 15, right? It's the famous passage, right? We see he talks about he is the vine, we are the branches. And he talks about when we study his word, we pray, we be obedient to him. We abide in him. It just means remain. You will bear much fruit. But if you continue on in that passage in John 15, 11, what we actually see is Jesus says, I say all of these things so that my joy might be in you and so that you might have fullness of joy. Similar language, Right? Similar language there. And so the Apostle Paul, he, the, he encourages the believers here to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let's continue. Verse five, he says this. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Why? Some translations say gentleness. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Right? Don't, don't freak out. Don't lose your mind. Why? The Lord is at hand. He's near so often we think he's so distant he doesn't hear our prayers no he hears you if you're if you're a believer here jesus loves you and he hears you right the lord is at hand he is near he is at the right hand of the father he is in control then what does the apostle paul says paul say verse six do not be anxious about anything, right? If Jesus is the ruler of the universe, he's the most glorious and the most powerful being in all the universe, and he's on his throne, and he has all authority, and heaven on earth has been given to him. Do not be anxious about anything, right? Do not be anxious about anything. But then he switches it. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Right? So he says, "Don't be anxious about anything. Nothing. Well, I do that a lot. I, I feel anxious about things. So when we feel anxious, what do we do? He says, "Stop being anxious and pray. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, with Thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And here's the promise, right? So, so far, we've had a lot of exhortations, a lot of commands that we're supposed to do. But now we actually have a promise. And a lot of times, even as believers, we want the promise without the command, right? We want the blessing without being obedient. And many times, God just meets us and is very gracious to us. But look at the promise here. Right, remembering all these things, rejoicing the Lord, right, having healthy relationships, right, remembering that the Lord is at hand, not be anxious about anything. And then verse 7, what? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So what do we see here, right? Right? Even when the world might look at you, your family, your friends, and say, How in the world are you continuing to stand firm? How are you not losing your mind with everything else going on around you? How do you have a peace in your life? How do you have a strength in your life? How do you have a joy in your life? You know what you do? You point them and you say, It's Jesus. He's upholding me. He's strengthening me. He's giving me peace. He's giving me joy. Right? The, the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind. That's a beautiful promise that we have to hold on to today, tomorrow, for the rest of our lives. I mean, even if you just consider for a second. right? Just consider. I talked about not being driven by your emotions and by your f- feelings so often. Think about even just some of the promises from Romans chapter 8. Right, you can just even write that down. See, some of you taking notes, you can write that down. Romans chapter eight, think about some of the promises that we see, right, even from Romans 8, one, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. No matter your sin, no matter your past, no matter your record, Jesus has taken your price, your punishment on the cross in full, right? Then we see, continuing on through through Romans chapter eight, we see the idea that, that you actually, as a believer, have been adopted, you've been given the spirit of adoption. God has called you, he has chosen you, and he's adopted you and welcomed you into his family, right? And then he says that not only am I going to adopt you, but I'm going to make you a co-heir with Christ. A co-heir, you share in the inheritance of the king of kings and lord of lords. I don't know what that looks like exactly, but what a beautiful inheritance that we have to look forward to. We share in the inheritance of the King of kings and Lord of lords. We are co-heirs with Christ. Then we see the promise that no matter what we go through in this life, it pales in comparison. It doesn't even compare, Paul says, to the surpassing, surpassing glory that would be revealed to us. Right? Even in the hardships, even the difficulty, it feels so much, there is a surpassing weight of glory that we have to look forward to. Right? Then we see even says, Hey, you don't know how to pray? Well, the Spirit's got you. The Spirit of God, the perfect Spirit of God, is praying to God the Father, the perfect will of God on your behalf. How many of you here, you feel like you you pray and you don't have the words to say? You don't, you just feel jumbled. And you feel like, God, I don't know what to pray even right now. The Spirit of God is praying on your behalf. The perfect will of God to God the Father. And then we see the promise that those who are loved by God and called by God, he works all things together for good. All things together for good, what's that good? It's not you getting everything that your heart desires. The good is you becoming more like Jesus. So whether you're on the mountaintop and everything's great in your life, or you're in the valley, God's gonna use that situation in your life to make you more like Christ. He's gonna use it for the greatest good to make you more like Jesus. And then we continue on, Paul says, if God has given you Jesus, he's given up his own son to you, he's not against you, he's for you. And here's even, it ends, Romans chapter eight, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing in all of creation can separate you from the love of Christ. We see in, in, in the book of John, Jesus says this, he says, there is no greater authority than God the Father. And those who are my followers are in his hands, and nothing can pluck you out of his hands. If this is the God that we serve, I know we forget these things, but if that's who the God that we serve is, and he's at the right hand of the Father, and he has control, why are we anxious? Why do we lose heart? There is so much to hold on to as a believer. So much to hold on to as a believer. Right, and we hold on to these things. We see the promise, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul continues. A lot of us times we just stop it there, but if we see, if we actually continue in this passage, we see a few more things that the apostle Paul points out, and they're really beautiful. Look with me, verse eight. He says this: Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Colossians 3 says it another way. He says, if you are a believer, right? You say, yes, I claim to be a believer. Set your mind on the things that are above. Set your mind on things that are above. Right? And the Apostle Paul, he lists some characteristics where it's true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, Keep going. Anything worthy of praise. Well, right, those are things like the, the, the word of God, right? Encouragement from brothers and sisters in Christ. The things of God, the spirit of God, the gospel. But we also see that the climax of all of that is Jesus Himself. Setting our minds on Christ, setting our eyes on Jesus. So the Apostle Paul he can, can, continues to encourage us: if we want to stand firm in the Lord, we have to actually think about the right things too. Think about the things. Christ. he continues verse 9 what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me right? so the apostle Paul remember he's gone to Philippi right? they've seen his life he's taught them he's shared the gospel with them he's encouraged them in their faith even now even when the apostle Paul is in prison he's going through his own suffering and now he's writing back to them and he's saying, anything that you have learned, received, and heard and seen in me, practice these things. As a believer, there should be obedience. We should have a desire to want to be faithful to God and the things that He has given to us and commanded us. But then there's another promise. And I want us to see this, right? Because in verse 7, in verse 7, we actually get to see that God says, Hey, you're not alone in this. I'm going to give you my peace to guard your heart and your mind. But in verse 9, we get something even more beautiful. Right? You think about the right things. You practice the right things. What does it say? And the God of peace will be with you. You See, this is beautiful, and this is awesome, and it's encouraging to my heart, and I hope and pray it's encouraging to your heart. Because wherever you're at out there today, whatever you're going through, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are not alone here today. God doesn't just say from a distance, say, hey, here's my peace. Just try to get along. Just try to get through it. What does Jesus say before he goes back to ascend with the Father? He said, I'm gonna give you a helper, a comforter, a counselor. To be with you. It's the Spirit of God. If you're a believer here today, the Holy Spirit, the very God of the universe, lives inside of you. What a beautiful gift and treasure that is. That the God that we serve doesn't say, hey, you're alone here. No, I'm with you through the storm. I'm with you through this trial. Jesus said, in this world you have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And in me, you will have peace. The Spirit of God is inside of you, and God is with you. What a beautiful promise we have as believers to hold on to. I mean, I even remember just in in my life, just even get kind of give a, as I wrap this up, I remember we had just moved to Cape Girardeau. So my parents had gone through some things and then my dad actually ended up uh, being in an accident, being in a nursing home, um, brain injury, a lot of things going on. I remember going through that. Thankfully, my parents took me to church and I remember hearing about God. I, I was a believer, I didn't understand everything, right? My understanding of the gospel was very small but I knew that God loved me and I knew he was there, right? After my dad went through that accident, In a lot of ways, I kind of lost my dad. Think about that as a five or six-year-old. Now, he blessed me with my stepdad, Jay, and that was a huge blessing in my life. But I also knew, even though my, in a lot of ways, my earthly dad wasn't gonna be there anymore, I had a perfect heavenly father who was always gonna be there for me. And no matter what I was gonna go through, I could always look to him. He was with me. I'll just tell you right now, he was my refuge through so many times. You see, we always run to something. We always run to something. What are you running to right now? I'm telling you right now, Jesus has open arms to you. Are you gonna run to him? Right, David says this throughout the Psalms. You are my refuge, my high tower, my strength. And whatever we run to, whatever we make our refuge, that's what we become like it's a form of worship do you truly trust in who god is do you truly trust that he loves you that he's there for you are you trying to fill your life with all types of other things are you trying to get peace in all types of other ways jesus has open arms to you and the promises of the scriptures god gives us his peace but he also Gives him, gives us himself. He gives us himself. All right? and this is even just a foreshadowing. Of Revelation 21 talks about this. The new heavens, new earth. God was meant to dwell with man. The fact that God has given us his spirit is just a foreshadowing of what all of eternity will be like. I pray you're encouraged by that, believer pray you hold on to that. Because what a glorious day that'll be. What a beautiful day that'll be. And so even as we end this message, I'm, I'm just going to say this. If you're a believer, I would just I would challenge you and I hope it's encouraging to really think about okay, where am I at in my relationship with God right now? And what's the next step? What is God really asking me to do right now? And maybe, maybe it's just trusting him in the situation. Maybe it's growing in your love for him, your affections for him, or maybe it's going and sharing with your neighbor, your family member, your friend. What is is God pressing on your heart right now? Right? What's he asking you to do? But also I would say this, if you're not a believer here and you're just listening listening to this message, I do pray that you see the beauty and the riches of Christ. That apart from him, if we trust, you're either trusting in your own own strength, your own righteousness, or you're trusting in Jesus and his righteousness. You see, if you're trusting in your own strength and your own righteousness, that's that's a one-way ticket right to hell. Separated from God and his beautiful love and grace and mercy towards you. But this is why God's provided a way. He sent Jesus to come be your redeemer, to live the perfect life that you and I could not live, to go to the cross, die on the cross, three days later, come back to life, to prove he's the true son of God, to prove he's truly the way, the truth, and life. And here's the call. Anyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus turns from their sin, repent. It means turn from your sin, change your mind, and look towards Jesus. Put your hope and trust in Jesus. Call upon the name of the Lord. Jesus says, I will forgive you of all of your sins. I will welcome you into my family. You'll be adopted. I'll give you my Holy Spirit, and you'll have eternal life. If that's you here today, my hope and prayer is that you would truly consider who Jesus is and truly consider what it means to follow him. I love you all. Let me pray for us, and we'll be done. Heavenly Father, Lord, we humbly come before you. Father God, we thank you and praise you for your grace and mercy in our lives. Jesus, even as we look at a passage like this where you exhort us, you command us to stand firm in you and trust you above everything else going on in our life, Lord, we know it can be very difficult and very hard. And so, Lord, we just ask in the midst of this, Lord, we pray for for more grace. We pray, Jesus, that your spirit would be filling us up, meeting us where we're at, I pray for wisdom for the believers here in this room. I pray that that you would encourage their hearts in you. That no matter what's going on in their life, Jesus, I pray they'd be able to trust you above everything else. That they would fix their eyes on you, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Please, Christ, we are desperate for you. And if we're not, would you move our hearts to be there? Help us to be desperate for you, Christ. We need you. We love you, Lord. And I also just pray, Lord Jesus, if there's anyone in this room or listening who does not know you, I pray that by the power of your spirit that you'd open their eyes to the truth of who you are. May you open their eyes. May you open their ears and give them a new heart. A heart to truly and a mind to truly understand who you are and to truly understand the gospel. We love you and we praise you, Christ. May you be exalted in all things. In Jesus' holy, holy name, amen.